In a time before internet and cell phones, we had this game called Spotlight. The entire neighborhood, Will's laughing, I think he's played it. The entire neighborhood would rally at somebody's house at night. One person designated with a flashlight, and the way we played it, it was a little bit like hide and seek, hide and go seek in the dark. You had a home base, a few friends, and when they started counting, you scattered into the darkness, and the person at the base had the flashlight, and they had to go spot people before they could get back to home base. And what could go wrong? Half a dozen 12-year-olds, dozen 12-year-olds running all over the neighborhood in the dark with no, with no flashlight, being chased by a person with a flashlight. For some of us, and we, we, were, we were like next-level experts at this. Camouflage, face paint. We didn't take this lightly. It was like an Olympic sport, you know? In fact, if anybody was wearing something that was kind of distinctive, because the way you caught somebody is the person with the spotlight had to call the name of the person for them to be captured. So you go see them run across the yard. It's not enough to put a light on them. You have to go, that's Charlie, to catch them while they're trying to get back to the base. So we would do things like swap clothes. Because, you know, we saw everybody when we gathered up and, oh, he's wearing this hat or whatever. We would swap. And so they would always get the name wrong because I was wearing somebody else's hat. You know, I mean, we, we had strategy. We had coordinated attacks. Like, you come from this way, I come from this way. He'll be lost. He can't catch both of us at the same time. I mean, it was a big deal. But we're running around in the dark. One of my friends clotheslined himself on those, like, wires that hold small trees up. You know, you got the small tree in the yard that's growing, and it's got this wire that keeps it from bending over. When you're sprinting from somebody in the dark, you don't see dark wire holding the tree up. Yeah, my dad would always complain about the state of the flower beds after a night of capture the flag, you know. The neighbors would complain about the state of their flower beds after a night of capture the flag. It was fantastic. But the person with the light, we, could all, we always could tell kind of where they were. It's pitch dark. We're running into wires and running into tree branches. But when they came around the corner of a house with a flashlight, there he is. You know, you know, you could see the light in the darkness. You knew where that person was. It was his job to shine light on us and to lighten our world. So the darker it was, the better. You know, when the street light's on, you don't want to hide under the street light. You can be seen, you know. But that flashlight... You could see it even before they come around the building. You could see the effects of that light. So, that really is what Advent is. In fact, we're going to read John's version of the Christmas story today. In fact, most people think Matthew, Mark, Luke, they've all got good accounts. Did you know John has a Christmas story? Shocker, I know. Most people don't think about it this way. But before we even get to John, I want to read another passage to you. So just listen. This is Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. We'll keep, we'll keep going after that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that came into being through Him, all things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. 
What has come into being in him was life, and life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like maybe John had read Genesis? He's making an obvious heavy-handed comparison, isn't he? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John sits down to write his gospel and goes, I know a good starting phrase. In the beginning <laughs> was the Word, and the Word was with God. And he goes on from there. He start, he's obviously wanting us to think of the creation story, right? He's obviously making the call back to Genesis. In fact, he does it several times in his gospels, kind of the way he's, he's drawing from that, from that source material. But he's making a huge, heavy-handed comparison. Now, here's the thing. The old creation, Genesis 1.1, and the new creation sound a lot alike. John wants us to get that. In the beginning, God created everything that we have. He started everything. God intervened ultimately in the cosmos. We're talking about divine disruptions. And in previous weeks, we've been talking about all these angel encounters. Angels showing up and like, hey, you think your life's going this way. Now it's going this way. Genesis 1 says the earth was formless and void and full of darkness and chaos. And God disrupts that with creation. It says, let there be light. And there was light. And so when John is telling the story of the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, the new kingdom, new world that is coming, he starts it with the same phrase on purpose. In the very beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God. You ever wondered why they called Jesus the Word in God in the Gospel of John? You ever wondered about that? Remember, I told you, he's tying this to Genesis 1. And God created by speaking. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. And God said, let there be light. God spoke creation into being with a word. The words of God intervened and disrupted chaos and started everything. And now John's telling us at the beginning of everything God's about to do, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word created everything with him and was with him when he created everything. He was there in the beginning. Jesus was there in the beginning. He was the word that created everything. And now he's making something totally new. You see, the Word of God in the Old Testament denotes action. And the words of God said this. God said, let there be light, and there was light. But in different passages, God's Word, when God speaks in the Old Testament, stuff happens. Isaiah 55, 11, My word shall not return empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose. The word, and we say that about Scripture. When we read Scripture, it doesn't return empty, Right? What do we call Scripture, by the way? The Word of God, right? <laughs> my Word does not return empty. In fact, it will accomplish my purpose. And is he talking about what he said? Is he talking about Scripture? Or is he talking about, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word will accomplish my purpose. 
Jesus is the Word. He is the truth. He is the beginning. John uses this metaphor of light quite a bit. Verse 3 of, chapter, of John. Arguably the ultimate disruption, as I was talking about. All things came into being through Him. Without Him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. That was actually verse 4 also. Arguably the ultimate disruption. The earth was chaotic and formless. We don't know for how long. How long was creation formless and void? A mess, darkness, chaos. By the way, the word chaos in Scripture is this idea of darkness, this voidness, nothing happening. And then God said, let there be light. And just like my friend coming around the house, I can suddenly see the wire hanging from the tree. <laughs> There's a light in the darkness, and the darkness will not and cannot overcome it. Jesus is called the light and the life of mankind. That's why John's writing his creation story, his new creation story. He wants the whole world to know that Jesus is the life and the light of the world. It's the purpose that Isaiah says his word will accomplish. It's because of Advent that we can have light and not be stuck in darkness. It's because of Advent that our life is now moving in the direction it was always intended to move in the first place. God can and will accomplish everything He set out to do. Creation light entered the physical darkness in the first creation, but Jesus, His Advent story that we celebrate at Christmas, is the light coming to a spiritually dark world. It's not just literal light and darkness, like it was dark and chaotic, and then God said, let there be light, and there was a sun, and all that stuff, creation story. The second creation, the world was full of spiritual darkness. The people in Jesus' day were running and getting clotheslined by tree lines all the time, spiritually speaking. They were wandering around in the dark with nobody with a flashlight, looking for hope everywhere they could find it. Money, position, status, career, whatever, birth order, like whatever it was, they, had, they were left finding meaning, fumbling around in the darkness, and the earth in Jesus' day was chaotic and void and dark. It's literal at the first creation, but it is certainly spiritual at the new creation that, God, that John is describing. It's a, spirit, it's a physical struggle with light, with darkness. By the way, darkness always loses to the flashlight, right? There you are, Charlie. Busted. What, is the, what do the verses in John we just read tell us? The darkness cannot overcome it. There's a spiritual struggle between light and dark. And God sends His Son into the world to be that light. And the darkness could not do anything about it. The spotlight was here. To shine light to who God is. To reveal who God is to us. We can't know Jesus apart from the arrival of... can't know God apart from the arrival of Jesus we can't know God without Him becoming one of, one of us. By the way, scientific rabbit trail here. You know darkness is not actually a thing, right? It's the absence of light. You can't get a flashlight out that shoots out darkness. You ever thought about that? 
Darkness is the absence of light. I can't bring, come in here and go like, oh, you're, you're in the dark now. It doesn't work that way. But if this room is dark and I walk in with a flashlight, what happens? You can see the beam project through the darkness. So you could argue that when the world is dark and chaotic and void, it's in the absence of God. That spiritual darkness is the absence of God in our lives. And so when He comes into the world, when He comes into it, He shines light in that darkness. Not just on a physical scale when He creates the world, not just on an Advent Christmas 2,000 years ago standpoint, but He shines light into the darkness of our own lives. Where it's absent of God, His light shines. And by the way, the whole purpose of spotlight is to not be seen. So what do we do spiritually? We hide from the light. I don't want anybody to know what I did. Saturday night person, Sunday morning Christian. It's a lot harder to keep secret, by the way, because y'all have social media now. It's like, look what he did. We hide from the light, naturally. That's our disposal. Our pre- we are predisposed to go, I, I don't want God to see what I just did. We're trying to get out of the light spiritually. But the darkness will struggle against the light, and it will not overcome it. It's a spiritual struggle. Jesus was in the world. The world was in the word was in the world, and even though he made it, they did not recognize him. Verse 10. So not only was Jesus participated in creation, but when he comes, John tells us the world didn't know who he was. Even though he helped make the world, they didn't recognize him. They were looking for something else. They're looking for a different flashlight to carry this metaphor way too far. They're looking for a different source of hope. They didn't recognize him. In verse 11, he says, His own people did not know who he was upon his arrival. He came to a particular people of God called Israel, and they didn't see who he was either. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But then, in two verses, John gives us the gospel of Christmas. But to all who received him who believed in His name, He gave the power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, you could add, or of the will of darkness, but of God. But to all who received Him, who believed who He was, He gave the power to become a child of God. The child came so that we would have the right, we would have the authority, we would have the ability to call ourselves children of God. That's why He came. That's the purpose in Isaiah that the Word was set out to accomplish. Isaiah 55. To make it possible. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Might be the most powerful phrase in all of John's Gospel. The word in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, everything had been made, had been made, made the word work. You get it, you get it. The word became flesh. Became one of us. The ultimate divine disruption. Dark and chaotic world. Into that world became God Himself. To be our light, to be our life, to be our source of hope. God 
You could say that God expresses himself through Jesus. Another reason that we call him the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. So Jesus' life was a literal God expressing himself to us. What do we do? How do you communicate without words? How do you communicate without words? You know, like you have to speak. We have to talk to each other. What kind of relationship you have, you don't talk to anybody. You know, God is revealing himself. God is expressing himself so that we could understand him to our own teeny, teeny, tiny ability to do so. I heard, a, I heard a, one time, and there's a famous, I guess it's a fairly fa- famous quote, that God becoming man so that we could relate to him would be like if we were trying to communicate with fire ants. How would we do so? The only way to do so would be to become one. I guess you could step on the fire mound. That would send a message. But the only way to communicate with them would be to be one. So so when John says, the word became flesh, God expressed himself to us so that we could understand him. Now, how spiritually speaking, it's the divine disruption. It is the gospel. But think about how disruptive the arrival of God as one of us actually is. I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but we all are celebrating the very end of 2021 A.D. We know what A.D. stands for, right? Anno Domini, it's Latin, the year of our Lord. So for all the non-Christians out there who are marking the calendar, they're marking 2021 of the year of our Lord. That's pretty disruptive. The calendar is based around roughly the arrival of Jesus. The whole world signs their check, December 29th, 2021. AD, well, they don't sign AD, but you get the point. They're using the calendar that was set in motion by the arrival of God. All of history turns on the revelation of God to us, the Word becoming flesh. The first 120 universities founded in the United States were founded for the advancement of the Christian faith. Harvard started as a seminary. Realize that. The very scientific revolution itself, the very idea in the 10th century, the 8th century, the 11th century, when we read about the dark ages and these scientists, people like Newton were Christians. Why is that important? The first modern scientist believed there was a created order by God to be discovered. The whole impetus behind a scientific law is the belief that the world is going to operate the way God designed it, not in some random chaotic fashion. And so they believed that it was their job as Christians to discover God's creation. It's the foundation of what everybody says, oh, look, we disproved God. Dude, science is founded on the idea God made the world with an order. You wouldn't know. Math? The fact the earth is just the right far distance from the sun, tilted at just the right angle so we can function, is so chaotic and random. No. Everything was created in some kind of divine, ordained, set-apart-for-us order. And the Christians go, we need to figure that order out so we can make, so we can fulfill, literally Genesis 2, fill the earth and subdue it. It's our Christian commission to care for, to study, 
to make good of the creation God gave us. And that belief is grounded in the fact that he made it in the first place. Scientific revolution, education. Guess what the first, guess what in the uh, 1800s what they studied in school to learn how to read? Anybody guess? I'll answer it for you. When you went to the schoolhouse, walking both uphill both ways in the snow, this is how you learned how to read. The Bible. You know, take God and church out of school. Dude, this was school. But you know, Jesus had no impact on the world whatsoever. None. Our court system, you know, the appellate court system, do you know that's based off the Presbyterian polity? Apologies to us Methodists. The idea of presbytery that appeals to the next presbytery that can appeal to the next presbytery sound familiar? Our court system was set up to model a church model of governance. But Jesus didn't accomplish anything. What about scientists? Socrates taught for 40 years, Plato for 50, Aristotle for 40, Jesus for three. You ever thought about that? Go to a school. What do they teach you? Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, because they, they had all this stuff and did all this volume. and all. Jesus taught for three. He crushed them. <laughs> Can you imagine if Jesus had spent 40 teaching? No wonder John says in a later part of his book, there are many more things that Jesus did and said, but all the volumes of the world could not contain it. Well, I guess if his three smokes, they're 40. But Jesus had no impact. He couldn't have been real. It's a myth. Your science, your education, your calendar, arguably your court system, all of it based on a man who was born 2,000 some odd years ago. It's a pretty big disruption. You could argue that the entire course of human history has been changed, has been shaped by a baby in a manger. But you can certainly argue that our spiritual course and our spiritual hope and the darkness that we found ourselves living in has been disrupted by the arrival of a baby in a manger. We call it Christmas. Our reason for hope, our reason for joy, our reason for peace, all of those things, all of history turns on the revelation of God and Jesus. Spiritual darkness is broken by God being revealed. And you can do your own homework on this last one. No one encounters Jesus unchanged. No one. If you go read the Scriptures, that's your homework assignment, go read the New Testament. Any conversation with Jesus, any encounter with Jesus, the people in the encounter walk away changed in some way, shape, fashion, or form. See the disciples, right? But what about the rich young ruler who comes up and says, Hey, Jesus, what is it I need to do to have eternal life? Jesus says, Keep this commandment, this commandment, this commandment, this commandment. He says, I've done all that since I was born. Whew. Tell Jesus that one. I've done all that since I was born. He goes, okay, you only like one more thing. Sell all of your money and all of your possessions and come follow me. Oh, uh, I'll pass on that one. His Bible says he had great wealth and he couldn't let go of it, which, by the way, violates the first two commandments. So he might have kept the rest. He violated the first two because wealth was an idol. 
Did he, it's not the, it's not the win story, right? He didn't go, you're right, Jesus, and sell everything and follow Jesus. Was he transformed? Was he changed? He certainly knew where he stood after the encounter. He certainly knew that he didn't match up to what Jesus had to say. And he didn't measure up. It says he went away sad because he had great wealth. He knew where he stood after he ran into Jesus, that, that money was more important than following Jesus. No one encounters Jesus and goes away unchanged. And that is true for us. That is the ultimate Advent story. In fact, John's Christmas story really is verses 14 to 18. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John testified to Him and cried out, This was He whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because He was before me. From His fullness we have received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made Him known. The power and the beauty of the Christmas story is that arrival of that baby is the beginning of the story of God making Himself known to us. And there is no way you can encounter Jesus and go away unchanged. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give thanks and praise and glory to you for this divine disruption. The ultimate intervention, the ultimate turning of history, the ultimate turning of creation, the ultimate turning of our hearts towards you. Because you revealed yourself to us, we have the power to call ourselves a child of God. For that, we praise you and we glorify you. In his holy name, amen.